0: Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. Visit appleco calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you to
1: the Clark Howard Show where it's about you being empowered with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. Speaking of which, coming up later, I've got a $1,000 challenge for you. We're going to talk about how you can have $1,000 materialize in your life in 2020. I am so fascinated by the new Ford Mustang. If you're not aware, coming next year, is an electric Mustang and you look at the pictures and it so fits with the historical picture of the Mustang but it's an SUV and it's all electric and lightning fast, faster than any Mustang muscle car there's ever been and this is something that is a clear trend. We're headed to electric vehicles, and they're going to get steadily cheaper, the range is going to get longer, and the Mustang is going to cost net for the baseline one, the SUV, uh, just a hair above mid-30s, right at what the average SUV costs in the United States. But that's just the beginning because we're going to have hundreds of electric vehicles introduced across the United States in the next few years. And the reason is they cost like nothing to operate. There's almost nothing to break. And what the energy costs, the equivalent cost per mile versus buying gasoline, is like zip. You can figure the typical electric vehicle will get an equivalent average fuel economy compared to gasoline of about 120 miles per gallon, which is unreal. Numbers people can't really grasp. But when you look at what Volkswagen is doing in Tennessee, where they're going to introduce one electric vehicle after another with the intention of making electric vehicles to the cost, sell to the customer at the same cost as a gas engine vehicle, the big advantage to you of what's coming is that the cost of actually owning and operating a vehicle is going to collapse. Now, there is a danger. Electric vehicles are much, much, much faster than what we're used to driving. And I'm worried about danger on the roads because vehicles have gotten more horsepower steadily over the years anyway. But electric vehicles are going to be far faster. And the fastest motorcycles made are electric. The fastest cars or SUVs made are electric. And they just inherently have so much instant power that I especially worry about teenagers and electric vehicles, so much so that Tesla developed a technology where a parent can dumb down essentially the electronic equivalent of horsepower, the top speed, the acceleration and all that, right from an app on their phone for a young driver to not be as dangerous behind the wheel. And I hope that other manufacturers of electric vehicles will follow the same kind of pattern and help make younger drivers safer. But, you know, when you look a decade out, it will be common and routine that people buy electric vehicles instead of gas just because it will be so much cheaper. Ed is with us on the Clark Howard Show. How are you, Ed?
2: Great, Clark. It's a real honor to speak to you. I have listened to you for a very long time, and... I take your advice on a lot of things, and um, especially on this, I'm really interested in what you have to say about my lease program that I'm with right now that matures. What, are a, we talking
1: about an apartment lease or a car lease or what kind?
2: I'm sorry. It's a, a Honda Civic, and the lease matures in February of next year. It's a
1: 39-month lease. Oh, 39. You have, with that Honda Civic, one of the most reliable of all vehicles on the road, one that holds book value better than most any other, and one that many people are proud of driving their Civics till they have to leave them at the side of the road 20 years after they got it. (laughs) So it's it's a car that people buy. They say this about Honda and Toyota buyers, that they make reliable cars for people who don't really like cars the idea meaning that people want something that just works right and so have you have you been pleased with the civic yes very much so in fact my
2: thoughts are that i would like to purchase it and we have enough money which leads me to my question if i have enough money ahead of when the lease is coming due does it make sense to purchase it ahead of time and i know the cost from what i'm seeing it seems to be a couple thousand dollars higher than if i waited or am i better off waiting and hopefully negotiate i don't know if that's even something that can be done too if there's anything we can negotiate
1: yeah those are great questions so on a typical auto lease you're best off waiting until the end of the lease, and execute the purchase of it, either A, under the terms of the residual value you have to pay, or B, negotiating possibly a lower value than that residual that you'd have to buy it for. So what i like for you to do is you know the vehicle, which automatically makes it worth more to you than another 39-month-old Civic right because you know you've been driving it you know you're either treating it like a baby or you're treating it terribly you know and when you buy a used car of the same age you really don't know its history i mean you can do the steps i recommend but it's, you're not going to know it the same so it's weird but i think that a car that you can buy that was yours and you know its history is worth even a little more than a car you would buy just on your own. That's thirty-nine months old.
2: Sure, and but, it only has seventeen thousand miles. So I know. It's, oh, you got to you know, buy
1: it. Got to buy it for the residual.
2: Now, got, w- would they even consider negotiating with me? Could i a higher price
1: a, because if you've only got really, seventeen thousand miles on it, okay. they're looking at it. Wow we cannot wait for Ed to turn this vehicle in because <laughs> we're going to score big money on it because instead of using, do you have like a forty, 36,000-mile uh, allowance on it or something like that? Right. And you've only used 17? I mean, that is a sweet deal for them if you turn it in. It's a much sweeter deal for you just to buy it at the agreed-to residual. Now, let me tell you one wrinkle to this. Was the lease done by honda honda's own credit arm or was it done by a bank
2: i believe it was honda in fact i have it in front of me it's honda leadership leasing
1: okay so they're they in order not to alienate their dealers they're generally not going to negotiate with you because part of their deal with the dealers is these cars end up back on their lots so they can sell it'd be an unusual okay. situation that Honda would negotiate. I mean, you can always try. If they say no, you say, I oh, well, I I offered them less, but they wouldn't take it. And then you just buy it for the residual. That's a great car to just buy at the end of the lease.
2: Would they negotiate anything as far as I know there's a fee that, um, that we have to pay at the end? Is that something that's negotiable? You Potentially, yes. And
1: what you do is you contact them six weeks out When the the lease is up, you say, hey, we're trying to decide if we're going to keep this or we're going to turn it back in, and I've checked, and it's worth so-and-so if it's worth less on Edmonds and Kelly Blue Book. You know, I've checked, and it seems to be worth less than what the residual is. Can we negotiate on this? Just do your homework before you make that call six weeks out. And they may even make you a different offer one week out than they'll make six weeks out. But um, the more homework you do on what the fair market value seems to be, if it's showing lower than that residual at Edmonds and Kelly Blue Book, then you potentially have better ability to negotiate. Good luck with it. Cindy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Cindy.
3: Hi, Clark. Thank you so much for taking my call.
1: Certainly. How can I serve you, Cindy? Yep.
3: Well, I'm in the market to make a will, and um, I was wondering if you could give me some advice on finding an online will service.
1: Well, I can give you my two favorites, but before I get into the ones that i like for you to consider, I wanted Uh to ask you some about your personal situation, because if you have any of the complicating factors... You don't want to do your own will. You want to have a lawyer who this is his or her specialty prepare a will for you. So first question, do you make a ton of money? No. Okay. Do you have a blended family situation with his kids, her kids, their kids, anything like that?
3: No, I'm single and I just have one daughter that I want to leave everything to. All
1: right. So you would be potentially an ideal candidate to do your own will, unless you own your own business. No, I don't. So you work for somebody, you have one child, okay. everything is, is a pretty straightforward situation, then I w- can recommend to you that you consider going to the website com. N-O-L-O.com. com. Okay. And look at uh, Quick and WillMaker Plus.
3: Quick and WillMaker Plus.
1: It is the okay. number one product that people use to do their own will. I would make sure you get the most current version.
3: So, is it software that you purchase and then you um, run it, or do you do it online? Actually. Yeah,
1: you download the software to your computer and do it on mm-hmm. your computer. So you keep it there. Okay. The other one is to use LegalZoom. LegalZoom. LegalZoom.com. LegalZoom. Yeah, I've
3: com. heard that one offered before. I mean, I've heard it advertised, and I was wondering about LegalZoom.
1: So LegalZoom involves a little more hand-holding. If you buy one of their more premium products, than you're going to have mm-hmm. with Willmaker. But with the mm-hmm. circumstance you described, Willmaker is very well designed. It goes through a protocol of asking you, a very good series of questions and my attitude with any of these online wills is that if you get confused at some point you need to stop but if everything is perfectly clear that you're seeing it lay out your wishes exactly as you want you're going to be just fine.
3: Okay well thank you I sure appreciate it.
0: All right and you have a great day. First the bad news.
1: It's my pleasure to welcome Stephen to the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Stephen. How you doing? Good. Yourself? Great. Thank you. Stephen, you got some student loans that are hanging on in your life. Tell me about those.
4: Well, I've done a pretty good job of getting rid of a lot of bad stuff in my credit, cleaning my credit up. Got a pretty good job now uh, doing a good job of putting, I put 16% into my 401k, which is split between the 401k and a Roth IRA. My employer uh, right. contributes thirteen percent. I'm trying to ramp it up, so I'm getting the eighteen five in on an annual basis. Wow! Um, the last part of my credit I'm trying to clean up is getting somewhere around twelve thousand dollars of default student loans uh, off. I'm just wondering if it's a better idea to just set up a payment plan through the student loans and get it out of default and get on the right track or take a loan out of my retirement to pay that off completely and then just pay back the loan into my retirement.
1: Well, you are someone who's got a real desire to save, obviously, with the amount of money you're saving. How much do you have to put in your 401k to pick up the maximum employer match? What percent of your pay?
4: I can put as little as 6% in and I get there thirteen.
1: All right. So I'm going to make a alternative suggestion and that is I think you said you're saving 16% of your pay right now. Correct. Take it down to 6. That'll free up a meaningful amount of money every month and be on a track to pay off that 12 grand instead of going the loan route. Okay. And I would go through the procedure in writing to bring those loans back into current status and then be on a track to pay them off at the rate you'd be paying you'd be able to get them paid off in about 15 months is that about right i was trying to do quick math and what you'd be freeing up going from 16 to 6.
4: i would be getting another 10 percent of my income on the net side rather than the gross side correct right so even after the tax getting on the net side and paying towards that, I should wind up better that way.
1: Okay, so um, just make sure whatever you do with that lender is it the federal government or these private yeah. loans?
4: It's well, I, I talked to them last week, and, and there's five total ones out there, and they were trying to. I think one of them was kind of stray. They were trying to uh, lump it back together to make it one consolidated, I guess, with them. And I need to call them back this week then to figure out which route to go. That's why I'm glad to be talking to you about it today.
1: Yeah, so just get whatever the deal is in writing before you start paying. Pay exactly as we've talked about here, and that 12 grand plus whatever interest will be wiped out so quickly, and then you won't have gone through the
0: procedure of doing a loan from the 401k. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard show, and
1: now I don't want you to feel a guilt trip about what I'm about to talk about, but you know, I'm about empowerment. I want you to take more control in your life. I want you to have more power in it. And so I want to talk about my thousand dollar challenge for you for twenty twenty. So there's pretty much Of anybody beyond people who make extremely low amounts of money, there's pretty much not anybody who couldn't come up with $1,000 a year extra in their lives by taking the time to go through your expenses and seeing where you can cut. Every time we've tried this experiment with people, the $1,000 mark has been pretty easy to meet. Again, except for the bottom 20% of income earners in the United States. There's money that we burn without intending to. And here's the funny thing. Today, it's a lot easier to squeeze $1,000 out of your budget than it used to be. Now think about what I said. It's easier today than it used to be. Why? Number one because we have so many technology products we pay for, services, and we have so many subscriptions we're in. So I want to get this in your ear, and I'm going to talk about it again next month. I want to get in your head thinking about the $1,000 challenge. I've got so much low-hanging fruit for you. There's barely a person I've ever talked to that couldn't save at least hundreds a year just by changing their cell phone plan or their cell phone company. There's virtually no one who can't generate hundreds of dollars of savings by reviewing how you watch video content. And so you can start with the technology side and then look at all the things you're subscribed to. Are you using it? The gym you subscribe to, when's the last time you were there? Or the video service you subscribe to, when's the last time you watched? We as a family saved $132 a year, I think, by dumping one of the streaming services, because I polled all the assembled multitude in our family. I said, who's watching, I won't tell you which service, because why would I bash them? But anyway, who's watching fill in the blank? And nobody was watching it, but we were paying for it every month. Money saved. Grocery shopping. You can squeeze so much out of what you spend on groceries and still eat very healthy. You know, a lot of people use this as a crutch saying, oh, well, the only way you can save money on groceries is you buy bad for you food. Not true. Not true. So think through what you spend, how you spend, where you bank. All the things you do with your wallet each month. Go through your credit card statements. If you have credit cards, go through your checking account statement. If you have a checking account. And look where your money's going. And come up with a simple, you know, on your phone you have those note programs. Just do a checklist of everything you're going to do to get to $1,000 saved in 2020, I promise you can do it. Laura is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Laura, how you doing? Hi, Clark, I'm fine, thank you. Sure, Laura, you wanna ask about something that I wish a lot more people would ask me about, but virtually no one ever does. What is that?
5: The health savings account. That's offered through my company. I like anything that has a tax advantage, so I started um, with this company about four years ago, and I put in the maximum, and they have a match, and since then I have just been wrecked by indecision of what to do with the money that's sitting in the account.
1: Well, it all depends on your resources, so you're putting in, or are you married? Married. So you're putting in over 6000 this year in the HSA? Correct. All right, so... If you can afford it and you don't use any of the HSA money to pay eligible medical expenses, Mm -hmm. it is the best tax-advantaged account you can have, actually tax-free, because you can build up that money year after year after year and let it grow tax-free and be spent tax-free potentially decades down the road. And so it becomes part of an overall financial planning strategy, which then forms how you would invest that money. Are you in a position that you can pay the out-of-pockets or no? Yes. Yeah, so uh, you are in a fortunate few of people who have HSAs that you have the resources to pay the deductibles that you have each year. And so... you want to be in stock type choices with the HSA money.
5: Should I be worried at all about IRS rules or they're coming back and saying things have changed, the the need to get the money out has changed.
1: So, it's always possible that a future Congress would pass different laws, that different regulations would be issued, but it would be extremely unlikely that any legal change or regulation regulation would make money already in an HSA subject to different rules from the rules on which you have placed money in it. So what can happen is a future Congress may say, we don't like HSAs, you can't do them anymore. But it would have no effect on the money you already have in an HSA. You know, it, okay. it, it is understood it is the law of the land that money you put in an hsa is money that grows tax-free and then is used it and its earnings use tax-free to pay medical bills and so i would not worry that that there would be some point down the road where they'd say "Ah, just kidding we're going to confiscate your money or charge some kind of big tax bill on your money
5: okay so as i understand it now if i wish to take out money that i put in let's say two years ago i would possibly be asked by the irs to show receipts that i spent money two years ago so do i continue to save those receipts
1: so you're worried that they're going to say that expenses you use the hsa on were not eligible medical expenses Correct. and so it was an improper withdrawal from the account so keeping records of hsa spending is a great idea and it would be something that would be just like how i want you to keep your tax returns forever money in an hsa that you have used that would be money that you'd want to keep the records of how you use the money a lot of times If it's coordinated with an employer-provided health insurance plan, it's pretty obvious what the money was used for. But if, in your case, you were manually doing it, keeping proper records is a great idea in the face of a challenge on tax-free status. Okay. And do you have choices in your HSA where you can put the money in like a stock index fund or anything along those lines?
5: Yes. yes. So that would be... In fact, at the beginning, I left it as the cash amount probably for too long, so I missed out on some of the growth.
1: And you'll have down years as well, but if you can leave the money alone, leave it be for a meaningful period of time, the advantage to you is so strong that I hope that you will just put the money in there, invest it, and let it ride for as many years in the future, even into retirement, if you can. It's a fantastic long-term tax play. Robert is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Robert. Hello, Clark. How are you doing, bud? Great. Thank you. You're thinking about doing something I did uh, last year or the year before, 23 me. Yes. So what are you intrigued about with
6: it? Well, I'm considering buying one of the uh, genetic mapping programs I've been l- listening, hearing about on on radio and so on, advertising. But I'd like to have information about my Ancestry, as well as other data that might be available.
1: So Ancestry ancestry is cheaper Correct. from any of the services, from Ancestry.com, from yes. 23andMe, from... Gosh, there's a couple other smaller ones. I can't yeah, remember the names of them. Yeah, right three, three or four or five, yeah. And those tend to street price out. Retail usually is 100 but they yeah. tend to street price out on deals at like $59, 69 79 right in there. Correct. Well, I'm
6: really interested in of the big picture, is your, the pro and con thoughts about doing Ancestry work but uh, mapping but in particular I'm wondering about the additional information that is available, such as as you dig deeper the propensity for certain diseases that you might have based on genetic genetics. And I'm I'm trying to understand do I just hang out and do just the basic stuff about where I come from, what part of the world, or do I go deeper and say, hmm, your ancestors give you a propensity for so-and-so disease as you get older. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, so it's all based on how you handle potential bad news in your head. Sure. So the Ancestry stuff's really fun. You get connected to a lot of people you didn't know you might be related to. And for my TV work, I tested two of them. And I tested Ancestry com and 23andMe yes. on the side of seeing my ancestral history they were virtually identical okay and there was there was slight variations in each of them as where they thought I was from and all that and where my relatives were from but minimal and so I was very impressed to see the consistency with the two of them Now, I have gone a step further, and with 23 of me, I've done the full DNA testing, and I've had to make the decision each time they have a new DNA report on me if I'm comfortable with knowing the information. And I don't have any problem. I don't freak out or psych myself out having the information. And I got a report that went through like three layers of warnings before it would let me see the results. (laughs) Okay. Because they just don't want people ending up accepting that an enhanced risk does not mean you're going to have whatever it is that would sound terrible.
6: Sure, sure.
1: As an example, got a report from 23andMe that took me through all the warnings, and it said that I have a 51% chance of having Alzheimer's by the time I'm 85 years old. Uh Uh-huh. And a lot of people would not want to know that. For me, i am like, okay, good to know. <laughs> and uh, and so I'm fine with knowing. Other people would be like, I don't want to know that. So you have to make that call for yourself. Yeah,
6: To me, that gets me in gear to, to move faster and do things more than, uh, than I lean on.
1: So you're looking at it as a positive way. I love that. Um, I, I had a result that was using a certain genetic marker that would show an increased risk of certain cancers. And I made the choice. I wanted to see that too. Turned out I didn't have any of the genes that they were worried about. And instead of having an enhanced risk of any of those cancers that the gene would show, it meant I didn't have an enhanced risk to those. So as long as you are comfortable, it sounds like you completely are, Robert, Go for it. The one other issue is the privacy of this information and how it might be used against any of us someday. And that I'm not qualified to speak on. Shipping
4: can make or break a sale, so, optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows, and they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with
1: the code P-O-D. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at Clark.com. And producer Joel asks it for you. Steve wrote in Clark. He says, I've got short-term and long-term disability insurance through my employer. However, I also have an accident policy to provide added protection for non-work accidents and injuries. Am I wasting my money on a redundant policy that I don't need? So they're not the same, but I'm, I don't like accident policies, and I'll get to that in a second. Your employer having a short-term disability policy followed by a long-term disability policy is great. They are very, very important because uh, statistics show that we are three times more likely to become disabled than to pass away during our working lifetime and most people don't have disability coverage it allows your pay to continue as you're in a short-term disabled situation if you find yourself in the unfortunate circumstance that you also become long-term disabled still your family your you yourself are financially secure Accident policies I despise. I don't like something that's a narrow coverage. I like broad coverage. If it's an accident policy that pays in the event you're hurt or killed, the way you deal with each of those is health insurance in the event that you are hurt and need to have your body repaired and life insurance in the event that you are killed in an accident and you need to provide for your survivors. But an accident policy that just pays money because you were in an accident seems not efficient to me. All right, Clark. Rowe writes in and says, is there a service that manages loans
4: to family, preferably one that reports to credit as well to help establish some credit?
1: If there is a family lending mechanism that reports to the credit bureaus, it's possible it's out there, but I've not heard of that. The one that intrigues me is one called LoanBack.com, L-O-A-N-Back, kcom that for 30 bucks takes you a bit out of the process. It helps you prepare a proper loan document with the individual, figure out what interest rate you should charge, not be in trouble with the IRS, takes care of all the stuff, including doing email reminders to the borrower that the payment is due. And that way it's coming from their email service instead of you being in an uncomfortable position with a family member or friend who isn't paying as agreed. And remember, my rule about lending to family or friends, you lend with the idea that you are surprised if they pay back. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show.